Pico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. For our feature today, we will hear IER reporter Enrique Sands talk about Mayor Pete's confirmation hearing. That's coming up later in the program, but first your environmental headlines. Brood X, the largest and most widespread colony of cicadas in the U.S., is due to emerge from their 17-year hibernation, Michigan State University entomologist Gary Parsons explained. The bugs typically emerge as early as mid-May, and the sound of their mating can reach 100 decibels, Newsweek reported. And there will be lots of them. Quote, Densities can be as great as 1.5 million per acre. So between Georgia and New York, there will surely be trillions emerging, end quote. Emeritus Professor of Entomology at the University of Maryland and Entomological Society of America fellow Michael J. Raup told Newsweek. The cicadas are due to emerge in Delaware, Georgia, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, North Carolina, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Washington, D.C. for the first time since 2004. They will begin to emerge once the ground hits 64 degrees Fahrenheit, usually between mid-May and late June. They will be above ground mating and laying eggs for about five to six weeks. Then the nymphs will dig into the ground to suck tree roots for another 17 years. The Indiana Environmental Reporter lists possible legislation dealing with coal ash disposal during the current legislative session. Senate Bill Number 367, Disposal of Coal Combustion Residuals, is authored by Senator Karen Italian. The proposed bill would prohibit coal ash from being disposed of into a landfill or impoundment that is in a 500-year flood zone or into any area that would contact groundwater during any portion of the year. Senate Bill 367 would also prohibit IDEM from approving closure plans for disposal facilities if facilities were located within a 500-year flood zone, if facilities could potentially leak into groundwater, or if the disposal structure does not have a liner compliant with federal criteria. This bill would also require the Indiana Utility Commission to review an electric utilities plan for closure of such facilities that would include an assessment of potential costs of remediating groundwater contamination. Closure costs of surface impoundments could be recovered if the closure plan is in the public interest and the costs are not excessive. Indianapolis-based Infrastructure and Energy Alternatives has been awarded a $100 million wind construction contract from Illinois. 
The contract is for building a 300-megawatt utility-scale wind farm in Morgan County, Illinois, a few miles west of Springfield. A total of 107 GE turbines will be installed. Wind farm construction is set to begin this month, with an expected completion later in the year. Benefits include $65 million in new tax revenue for Morgan County over the life of the project, $3 million in annual lease payments to private landowners, enough safe, clean electricity for approximately 100,000 American homes, and hundreds of jobs and significant local spending during construction. After over a decade of dragging its feet, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is finally proposing to designate the white bark pine, one of the highest swelling tree species in the country, as a threatened species under the Endangered Species Act. The white bark pine is a keystone foundational species in the high elevation windswept mountains of the western U.S. Its roots stabilize the loose alpine soil, and its shade helps preserve high-elevation snow during the summer, keeping rivers and streams flowing. Besides, the white bark pine seed-laden cones provide food for multiple species of birds and rodents, and in some areas provide an important fall food source for threatened grizzly bears. The white bark pine is in trouble mainly because of a fungus known as blister rust, as well as the cascading effect of the climate crisis, including the proliferation of the mountain pine beetle. Warmer, shorter winters have allowed the beetle to flourish and expand its range upward, destroying large swaths of trees. Since it's already at the very top of its alpine range, the white bark pine has no higher elevations to which it can escape the climatic changes to its habitat. The Forest Service not only should list the tree on the endangered species list, but should quickly adopt a recovery plan for the tree. In a significant victory for the planet, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit has ruled against the Trump administration's affordable clean energy rule, which loosened limits on greenhouse gas emissions from coal plants. Opponents of Trump's rule called it the dirty power rule. The court stated, quote, Promulgation of the Trump rule and its embedded repeal of the Clean Power Plan rested critically on a mistaken reading of the Clear Air Act, end quote. The court sent the rule back to the EPA. The Obama-era Clean Power Plan was dumped when Trump's rule came into effect. According to Common Dreams, the Trump rule, quote, was met with fierce outrage and lawsuits from environmental groups and dozens of states and cities who said it was an industry-friendly rule that rejected science to the detriment of public health and the climate crisis, end quote. The Trump rule became law under EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler, who had been a coal lobbyist before he joined the Trump administration. The growing Texas solar industry is offering a safe harbor to unemployed oil and gas professionals amid the latest oil and gas industry bust, this one brought on by the novel coronavirus pandemic, the Houston Chronicle reports. With the fracking sector in turmoil, many workers are looking to apply their skills from construction to negotiating land use agreements to the solar industry. Quote, no question, we are getting workers moving over from oil and gas, end quote. Kevin Smith, Lighthouse 
BP's CEO in the Americas said, It turns out that a lot of the oil and gas skills are applicable to solar. Renewables are the fastest growing energy sector in the country, and Texas's topography, climate, and grid make it an attractive market for solar energy. Could coal workers in Indiana make a similar transition? In a direct threat to the Biden administration's proposed climate change efforts, the outgoing Trump administration released a rule that exempts most polluting industries, including several of Indiana's major polluters, from future efforts to limit greenhouse gas emissions. The pollutant-specific significant contribution finding, set to take effect March 15th, will allow the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency to set greenhouse gas limits on power plants, but will exempt other polluting industries like oil, gas, chemical, steel, cement, and aluminum producers from being subject to limits. In Indiana, eight chemical facilities alone account for 2.1 million metric tons of greenhouse gas emissions, all of which could be exempt from future greenhouse gas limits. Wind and solar make up a small share of U.S. electricity production today, but they're poised to supply 70% of new power plant capacity built this year. That's not according to pro-solar activists or industry trade groups. That's the calculation of the federal government. Solar will deliver the most new capacity with 39%, according to the latest tally by the U.S. Energy Information Administration, or EIA. Wind follows closely behind with 31%, and battery storage will grow to 11% of new capacity. With a carbon impact, determined by the cleanliness of the electricity that charges them. Natural gas, the dominant fuel source for U.S. electricity, is only expected to account for 16% of new power plant capacity. Almost all of these gas generators are popping up in Texas, Ohio, or Pennsylvania, the EIA noted. That's a remarkable shift from the market landscape just a few years ago and reflects continued cost declines as the industry scales up and renewable supply chains mature. The numbers arrive as the incoming Biden administration is contemplating major legislation to stimulate the economy and grapple with the planet-warming emissions at the same time. In the past, when wind and solar were more expensive, Opponents of clean energy investment framed it as a threat to the economy. President Donald Trump made that case when he pulled out of the Paris Climate Agreement, which he alleged would impose, quote, draconian financial and economic burdens, unquote. But clean energy looks less threatening to industry when power companies themselves overwhelmingly choose it to meet their needs. In recent years, nearly all publicly traded utility companies have pledged to zero out their carbon emissions by mid-century. An executive order issued by the South Coast Air Quality Management District has led Los Angeles County to suspend air quality regulations for 10 days to permit the cremation of COVID-19 patients' remains. The area has a backlog of bodies of people who have died because of the pandemic. Currently, the remains of 2,700 people are being stored temporarily in refrigerated trailers at the medical examiner coroner's office in the city of Los Angeles. According to Gizmodo, quote, 
Local authorities have decided that dirtier air is the price Angelinos will have to pay if the backlog is ever going to be cleared, end quote. The current rate of deaths in Los Angeles County is over double that of pre-pandemic years. The coroner expects a surge of infections from the New Year's holiday. The executive order says that what it calls, quote, the decedent management system, which, end quote, which includes hospitals, funeral homes, crematoria, and the coroner's office is beyond capacity. Cremation causes air pollution by releasing trace amounts of hazardous chemicals. Mercury is an issue because of dental fillings in deceased baby boomers. They received fillings containing mercury before alternatives became available. According to a study prepared for the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, the mercury in dental amalgams vaporizes from the high temperature of cremation and adds pollution to the environment. According to the study, the potential effects of exposure to mercury released from dental fillings during cremation, quote, have generated public concern and debate, end quote. Governor Laura Kelly of Kansas announced recently that the state of Kansas has once again been recognized as a national leader in wind energy. Quote, I'm pleased that these national accolades have confirmed that what Kansans have known to be true. Our state is a driving force when it comes to wind power expansion, development, and innovation in our country, end quote, Governor Kelly said. Due to its significant economic impact and benefit, the Grain Belt Express was honored by Business Facilities Magazine with an honorable mention award in its National Deal of the Year competition. A new 800-mile transmission line connected to the Grain Belt Express is expected to bring $8 billion in investment and thousands of jobs to Kansas. Grain Belt Express, owned and developed by Inver Energy Transmission, has created a renewable energy project that promises to deliver significant advantages in access to affordable energy and added infrastructure for broadband. According to an analysis on behalf of the company, this expansion will create up to $7 billion in electricity cost savings for Kansas and Missouri customers by 2045. After more than 75,000 people urged McDonald's to ban PFAS chemicals from food packaging, the company agreed to do so. By 2025, those toxic chemicals, known as forever chemicals because they don't break down in the environment, will be gone from packaging at all 38,000-plus restaurants in 100-plus countries. McDonald's is the largest fast food chain in the world. In the U.S. alone, over 1 million Big Mac containers are used and discarded each day. Recent test results from the organization Safer Chemicals Healthy Families showed that those boxes are contributing to the PFAS pollution crisis. PFAS chemicals have been linked to an increased risk of particular cancers, immune system suppression, and reduced birth weight. When people eat food from PFAS-containing packaging, they can end up ingesting some of those chemicals. When toxic trash with PFAS goes into a dump or incinerator, it can contaminate our air, water, and soil. McDonald's also disclosed that it has already eliminated other toxic chemicals, including BPA, BPS, and phthalates from its packaging. A report just published 
in environmental health perspectives, notes that although average arsenic concentrations in water decreased by an average of 10% throughout the U.S. from 2006 to 11, arsenic levels were higher in water systems in Latinx communities and areas of the southwestern U.S. Arsenic is a very potent carcinogen and, quote, the most significant chemical contaminant in drinking water globally, end quote, according to the World Health Organization. Besides its carcinogenic potential, arsenic harms almost every system in the human body. Among the conditions it causes are heart disease, diarrhea, cognitive impairment, cirrhosis, and lung disease. Environmental justice is an issue here since mostly Latinx communities, communities of about a thousand people, and southwestern areas were more likely than others to have arsenic concentrations surpassing the EPA's maximum contaminant level. In 2001, the EPA determined that the maximum contaminant level of arsenic would fall from 50 parts per billion to 10 parts in the year 2006. 10 parts per billion is insufficient, according to the report. The limit in the Netherlands is 1 part per billion, and the limit is 5 parts per billion in Denmark, New Hampshire, and New Jersey. Scientists say there's no safe level of arsenic in drinking water, and the EPA's ultimate objective is to decrease the maximum contaminant level to 0 parts per billion. If you live in North America or Europe, you're polluting the Arctic with microplastic fibers when you wash your clothing made of synthetic fabric. The most thorough study of this problem so far, published in the journal Nature Communications, found microplastics in 96 of 97 samples obtained through the Arctic. Over 92% of the microplastics were fibers, and 73% of the 92% were made of polyester, a popular material for clothes. The fibers found were the same width and colors as those used in clothing. Another recent study estimated that 3,500 tons of plastic microfibers from washing clothes in the U.S. and Canada landed in the ocean each year. The study also found that plastic that entered the seas around the U.K. ended up in the Arctic within two years. Plastic debris harms wild animals, which mistake it for food. Plastics also enter the human body through food, water, and air, but the health effects are not yet known. Eric von Sebel from Utrecht University in the Netherlands observed, quote, Plastic anywhere in the environment is an atrocity, but in the Arctic it's probably more harmful than in most other places. That's because it comes on top of the dramatic and dangerous climate change that the region and its ecosystems are experiencing, end quote. And now for our feature, we will hear IER reporter Enrique Sands talk about Mayor Pete's confirmation hearing. South Bend's former Mayor Pete Buttigieg will soon be Secretary Pete once he's confirmed to lead the Department of Transportation. Buttigieg rose to fame as the polyglot candidate for the Democratic nomination, busting out whatever language he needed to speak to assembled masses. But former Vice President, now current President, Joe Biden eventually won the nomination and recruited Mayor Pete for his cabinet. Biden has an ambitious goal for his presidency, defeating climate change. Biden's climate plan aims for net zero emissions by 2050 and a clean energy economy. Will Secretary Pete follow through with the plan? Back and forths with two Republican senators could point to the answer. 
Texas Senator Ted Cruz, currently under scrutiny for his role in the January 6th insurrection, asked Buttigieg what he would say to the workers that lost their job when Biden revoked a permit on the Keystone XL pipeline, a project seen as an environmental threat. Mr. Buttigieg, congratulations on your nomination. Thank you. The Department of Transportation has responsibility for infrastructure, has a major role concerning jobs, and has responsibility for ensuring safety. I am hopeful that if you're confirmed your tenure, we will see material advances on all three. I will say it was disconcerting to see yesterday, the first day of the Biden administration, straight out of the gate, President Biden announced that he was canceling the Keystone Pipeline. That is a major infrastructure project. That is a project that right now today has 1,200 good paying union jobs. And in 2021, the Keystone Pipeline was scheduled to have more than 11,000 jobs, including 8,000 union jobs, for contracts worth $1.6 billion. And with the stroke of a pen, President Biden has told those 11,000 workers, those union workers, your jobs are gone. Mr. Buttigieg, what do you say to those workers whose jobs have just been eliminated by presidential edict? I think the most important thing is to make sure that we make good on the promise of the president's climate vision as being one that on net creates far more jobs, millions, we hope. Uh, I know that won't just happen. We'll have to do a lot of work to make sure that's real. Uh, But getting this right means ensuring that there are more good paying union jobs for all Americans delivered through that infrastructure vision. So for those workers, the answer is somebody else will get a job? The answer is that we are very eager to see those workers continue to be employed in good-paying union jobs, even if they might be different ones. Jobs in a clean energy industry are on the rise, while fossil fuel jobs like those found on the pipeline are becoming more rare, as banks and other sources of capital are lending less money for fossil fuel projects. That's because the market is moving away from coal, a 19th century power source. Here's what nominee Pete said when Cruz accused the Biden administration of targeting union jobs. Well, again, Senator, I think the answer is that we're going to create more good paying union jobs. And we can do that while recognizing the fact that when the books are written about our careers, one of the main things we'll be judged on is whether we did enough to stop the destruction of life and and property due to climate change. I've got to believe we can do both of those things. But if you and I can make common cause in our support for labor, then uh, I think that's great news. One of Indiana's two U.S. Senators, Todd Young, asked nominee Pete about NEPA, the National Environmental Policy Act, one of the nation's first environmental laws. The law requires all federal agencies to assess the environmental effect of a federal project before it happens. The Trump administration limited the amount of time to perform that assessment to two years. As we look at ways to improve infrastructure, we commit to working with Congress to identify ways to streamline in a responsible fashion, the federal permitting uh, and review process in order to expedite safe project delivery of key infrastructure projects. I think we should take every opportunity to make sure that these processes are efficient, that uh, as much as is possibly uh, doable, consistent, of course, with those safety and environmental goals, that they are speedy, that they're not duplicative, and I'd welcome ways to, uh, to work on that together. Okay. One, one specific opportunity I say t- that I've identified to do that, as have others, is, is uh, NEPA, the National Environmental Policy Act. Uh, it's an important law. It requires federal agencies to consider the environmental effects of, of proposed federal actions. This is an important step in the overall process. I just want to underscore that. Uh, however, uh, it seems like maybe an area uh, that can be improved. There's a recent effort to make improvements to this law. In fact, uh, last year, the Council on Environmental Quality announced a final rule to modernize NEPA. 
And in that final rule, they established a two-year goal for completion of environmental reviews, a time frame that I think strikes most people as uh, reasonable. Do you and the administration support these recent efforts to set a, a two-year shot clock, as it were, uh, for completion of environmental review of transportation and infrastructure projects? So uh, NEPA is certainly something I encountered as mayor. It came into play, of course, on that South Shore project. And uh, I'm aware of this uh, adjustment that's been made, but want to learn a little bit more about it. I know it'll be on the agenda for CEQ, and we'll make sure to be at the table when that's being discussed. Nominee Pete will most likely become Secretary Pete in the coming days. We'll continue tracking the Biden administration's progress in its climate change goals. For Report, I'm Sarah Callanan. And I'm Patrick Callanan. And now for our events calendar. Spring Mill State Park is offering a full wolf moon hike on Friday, January 29th from 7 to 8 p.m. Meet Anthony at the Lakeview Activity Center for a fun hike on Trail 5 and learn the lore, legend, and history of the full wolf moon. Don't forget the Eagles over Monroe at Monroe Lake continues until January 31st. Most events are virtual, but on Friday, January 29th and Sunday, January 31st, from 5 to 6 p.m. as the sunset approaches, you can enjoy the sunset eagle watch along the shoreline. Spotting scopes and binoculars will be available as well as hot cocoa. You must pre-register at Vance at dnr.in.gov. The second hike in the winter hike series at Brown County State Park will be the CCC Rediscovered Hike on Saturday, January 30th. The hike will include off-trail destinations and will take about one and a half hours to complete. Meet at the Nature Center at 11 a.m. to participate. Go to phaulter at dnr.in.gov for more information. There will be a winter exploration hike at Monroe Lake on Wednesday, February 3rd from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. This off-trail hike will be through the Sycamore Branch South Fork resting area. There is no set path. Plan for rugged terrain and no toilet facilities. Sign up at www.bit.ly slash feh feb 3 2021. You will receive an email with driving directions to the meeting location. Enjoy a hidden cave hike at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, February 6th from 1 to 2 p.m. Meet at the Lakeview Activity Center to hike off trail to the hidden cave known as Author's Pocket. Register at sbelt at dnr.in.gov or call 812-849-3534. This will be a very rugged hike, so plan accordingly. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water solar electricity and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. 
Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled the events. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report. A volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB. In Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.